0: All right, welcome everyone to our third session of Committed Marriage. If you'll look at page eight in your notes, when we get to the DVD section from Paul Schrift, he's going to be making comments relevant to the material on page eight. But what I'm going to say before we start the DVD, we don't have notes there for, so on the back of page seven, if you want to take any notes, then that's probably the place to do it. The first two sessions have been about our inner motivation, that is what causes us to think the way we do, talk the way we do, and act the way we do. The Bible refers to the control center of each person that is the motivational center of all that we think and say and do as the heart. What's in our hearts comes out in our relationships. We each bring, as I pointed out last week, (coughs) different baggage, both good and bad, into our marriages. And that baggage that forms our hearts and comes from our personal makeup and the environment that we grew up in. So we bring this baggage in and it shapes our hearts. And the baggage that we have, good and bad, comes from our personal makeup and our environment. And so, I am the way I am, you are the way you are, and you bring that into your marriages because of both nature and nurture. In both of those categories, what I'm like by nature and what I've seen modeled in front of me are not what they're supposed to be. Neither my personal makeup, my nature, nor what I've seen modeled to me, in front of others, even though there are certainly some good things about what I do and think and say, and the same for you, and what you've seen modeled in front of you, there are some good things, but none of them are what they're supposed to be, because as we saw last week, we're fallen, and we live in a fallen world. And so I said last week, stuff happens, and I cause stuff to happen. Stuff is broken, and I help them become broken, and relationships are broken, and I and you contribute to their brokenness. And as a result of that, there's always a need for reconciliation, a need to mend what is broken. And so last week, we saw the first of six commitments we're going to be looking at in our time together over the next several weeks. So I bring this baggage in, you bring this baggage in. The baggage comes from our personal makeup, our nature, and our nurture, the environment uh, around us. Most often that baggage is unexamined by the time we go into our marriages. And so we just carry it with us. And we find ourselves trying to defend the baggage that we brought in over against the baggage that, that you bring in, that your spouse brings in. You may need help to see the baggage that you have, because most of us are blind to our own to our own baggage. But having, having seen it, and one of the things that Paul Tripp is trying to do, and I'm trying to do, is help us to see our baggage, each of us. And once seen, one of the things we have to do is what you see on the screen. Give ourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. We commit to coming clean and dealing honesty with our sin, our weakness, and our failure. Now remember, confession in the Bible means this, say the same thing. So we say the same thing about our baggage, about our sin, that God says about it. And I'm going to talk about how to go about confession in just a moment. But as God opens our eyes to see how we've sinned against others, God at the same time offers a way to find freedom from those past wrongs. It's called confession. Confession. But many people haven't experienced that freedom from the past and the things that they've done because they've never learned to confess their wrongs honestly and unconditionally. And so instead we use what I call weasel words. And we say things like, I'm sorry if I hurt. Or let's just forget the past. Or I suppose I could have done a a better job. Or something like, I guess it's not all your fault. These are token statements that rarely trigger genuine forgiveness and reconciliation. And if you want to really make peace with anybody, but certainly with your spouse, you need to ask God to help you breathe grace into that relationship by humbly and thoroughly admitting your own wrongs. Now, how does that happen? And I want to go through some slides that are called the 7 A's of Confession. First, address everybody that's involved in the wrong. And so as couples, there may be kids involved. We may have our children who have been directly affected by the offense, by the sin that they have seen in us, in our relationships, in our homes. Address everybody who is directly affected by the sin. And then secondly... Avoid if, or but, or maybe when you're confessing. And so don't excuse your sin. When you confess, do it straight up. Say the same thing that God says about you. And in addition, admit specifically what it is you've done. And let me say, that would include not just actions, but attitudes as well. So admit specifically the attitudes and the actions that have revealed your heart in your marriage and to any who have been hurt by a sinful attitude and actions. And then acknowledge the hurt. You make sure that the people that you are confessing to understand that they have been hurt by what you've said, by what you've done, by what you failed to say, by what you failed to, to do. And so express sorrow for the hurt that was caused. Now, we've got a, a few more to go through, but I suppose it should go without saying that if this is simply a perfunctory exercise, that you go through, all right, Pastor told me I'm supposed to address everybody involved, you're involved. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry I hurt you, I know it hurt what's next? And you just go down, check, check. It's pretty clear you don't mean this, right? So the whole assumption here is that you're coming with a heart that's in it. And you are trying to express that you get, and you get the hurt that has been caused by your sin. And then fifthly, accept the consequences. It may be a situation where restitution is, is required. You know, think of all kinds of examples, but if you had an outburst of anger and you you broke some stuff, in addition to uh, acknowledging the hurt, admitting what you've done, accept the consequences and replace it, and do what's necessary to make restitution. And sixth, alter your behavior. Now, I would think you would see that this is crucial. Because if I simply come and acknowledge that I did something, at this point it's only words. But the actual alteration of the behavior is what's going to demonstrate to the individual that you have hurt that you get it at the heart level. And so it is not simply transactional, it's transformation. Transactional just means, okay, I did something, here's the transaction, here's the routine we go through. I confess, you forgive me, good, I'm glad that's over. Ten minutes later, I do it again, another transaction. And if it's just transactional, then the person that you're harming by your sin is not going to come away with the idea that you really get at the heart of And so it's altering your behavior means that you see that your heart is causing the fruit, the ill fruit that's been given rise in your relationship. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that transformational necessity at the end of our time today. But last, with regard to confession, then ask forgiveness. And I recommend that you say, will you forgive me because I've sinned in this way? And you've presumably already described the way because you've done the other six things. And you don't just say I'm sorry. So for me, I counsel people to use I'm sorry for accidents and will you forgive me for sin? And the truth is there are things that I can do that I'm sorry happened, but I didn't sin against you. If I bump into you and knock you down accidentally, I'm sorry. But I didn't sin against you. I'm sorry, I'll help you up. But if I sin against you in my attitude in my words, in my actions, then I need to seek forgiveness for the sin. Now, what does forgiveness look like? And I want to give you four promises that you make when you, uh, when you forgive someone who's seeking you. The first is this. Someone comes to you now and they confess the way we've laid laid it out and they ask forgiveness now. Forgive me for sinning against you in this way. Now you, the offended, are making these promises. I will not dwell on this incident. So here's counsel that I've given to a number of folks uh, over the years. Think of it this way. That offense that was committed against you by your spouse Depending on the nature of that, that may enter your mind over and over again. I mean, let's just say, for sake of illustration, that your spouse commits adultery, seeks forgiveness, you are willing to grant forgiveness, and as you do that, you are making a promise I'll not dwell on it. But there are scenes that pop into your mind. There are things that come in here. There are things that trigger you thinking about. So, how are you going to do this? How are you going to fulfill this promise? And the counsel that I give, and that's an extreme example, but on anything that you're having trouble just putting out of your mind completely, is this. Remember, you control the remote of your mind. Your mind is like a TV set. And you can be watching a show, and then a commercial that you didn't choose comes on but you control the remote. You don't control that it came on, but you do control whether or not you're going to dwell on it. And whether or not you're going to stay on that channel. And so when you make this promise, you are not saying it will not pop into my mind. It may well pop into your mind over and over again. But you're going to discipline your mind to change the channel, because you are not a victim where somebody else controls the remote, you control the remote. And you change the channel of your mind in terms of what you're going to dwell on and think of. So the first promise is, I will not dwell. Second, I will not bring it up and use it against you. 1 Corinthians 13 in your Bible says love is patient, love is kind. But one of the things it says about love is that love keeps no record of wrong. And so you are making a commitment not to get, as some of you have heard me say, Before, you you will not get historical. Not hysterical. You won't do that either. But you won't get historical on your spouse. Keeping a record and bringing up, remember when you did X. If you've forgiven them, you won't do that. Now, before we move on to the other two things you do when you forgive, can you all see that you are in desperate need of grace? in order to do this. And so am I. But these things are really hard. And yet they are what God tells us to do. The good news is God gives the grace to do them. And we'll talk about that grace before we leave today. So the third promise of forgiveness is I will not talk to others about this incident. Now, I'll not talk to others about this incident who are either not part of the problem or part of the solution. It may be that you've had to go for counsel and talk to somebody, and so you're not promising not to do that, but you are not talking to anyone who is not part of the problem or part of the solution. And what I've seen happen over and over again in marriages is someone is wronged, and they want to make sure that they form the battlefield in a way that the soldiers are arrayed in their favor. And so they marshal all of their friends and all the family to make sure that they all know what a jerk I married. And they talk to everybody about it. I I have had people come to me and ask me about other people's marriages and I'm wondering how in heaven's name they know all the stuff they know about what's so bad in somebody else's marriage. Well, it turns out they found it out through one of the spouses who's seeking to array the battlefield in his or her favor. But forgiveness says I won't talk to others about it. And then, fourthly, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship after I forgive you. making a promise to do that. Now, how can you make good on that? Here's how. Remember Matthew 18, verse 25 and following, and the story that Jesus told about the person who owed a great debt but was forgiven that debt. you all remember that? And then that same person who owed that great debt but was forgiven that debt went to somebody who owed them a relative few dollars but would not forgive. And Jesus makes the point that if you have a relationship with God, you've been forgiven an infinite amount. Anything that's been done to you is relatively small compared to that. So that's how you can say it will not stand between Alright, tonight Paul is going to uh, speak for 23 minutes, and he is going to cover a second of three principles. The first of them was on page 3 in your notes. Take a look at page 3. And you see in the box there, the principle that's on the screen, a marriage of unity, understanding, and love is not rooted in romance, but in worship. In the first two weeks, he's been expounding on that principle. But tonight, as he gets a little bit later into his talk, he's going to present the second of three principles that he wants, wants to give. us. So I'm giving these six commitments. He's giving these, these three principles. So if you'll turn back then to page 8. On page 8, you can take notes about what Paul is going to present and then I'll come and finish up. With. Well, please take a look at the top of page nine in your notes. Think of some desires that battle within you, and write those down. I'll offer some. Desires that are not evil, as Paul said, but they become sinful, as I said last week, when I'm willing to sin in their absence. And so I might have a desire to be right. Or to be comfortable. Or to have stuff, things. Or to be first. Be right, be comfortable, to have things, be first, to be accepted, to look good, to be respected, to be self sufficient, independent. You could make an infinite list of the kinds of desires that battle within us, and I encourage you to try to think of, in fact, as the next question says, uh, what would it look like if we desired God's kingdom rather than our own, which necessitates you to think about the desires that rule your heart on a regular basis? In the advertisement, the invitation advertisement for this class, this is what we said. A strong marriage requires something sturdier than romance. You need something deeper than shared interests and mutual attraction. You need change, expectations. You need radical commitments. And more importantly, you need grace. Now, you remember earlier, as I was going through the promises of forgiveness, and you look at how hard that is, I said, we need grace to do that, don't we? And the fact is, to do what Paul has been talking about, each of us needs grace, because this is something that you cannot do on your own. And throughout these three sessions thus far, we have emphasized, because the Bible emphasizes that the roots of our relational problems and all of our problems is our hearts. And so, you need grace because you you need something that you can't do on your own, and that is a change of heart. Who can change his own heart? So it's all well and good for three sessions to talk about our hearts are the root, this is what comes out when you're in traffic, It revealed your heart, all of that, and it's all true. But now having recognized that, what happens? I need a change of heart. You need a change of heart. But how does anyone change their own heart? And in fact, this is what the Bible says about the heart. It's deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Well, this is what needs to be cured, the heart, and it's beyond cure. And who can understand it? But the good news is, when it says it's beyond cure, it means it's beyond a human cure. It's beyond your ability to change. And my ability to change. So, the Bible is telling me over and over again, My heart is the problem. My heart is the root of this harvest of evil that comes out of my mouth and my attitude and my actions. I need a change of heart. I can't do it. It's beyond cure from a human standpoint. So where's the hope in this? I need grace. You need grace. And how does it come? God says this. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I, God, will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now we're going to see how that happens in just a minute. How God does that. But I want you to pause for a moment and think to yourself, has my heart ever been radically transplanted and changed? And if the answer to that is no, I don't see the evidence of that. I have not seen the evidence in my life that I want for my heart to be motivated and beat in tune with God's heart. That would not be what describes it. Then what that means is you've never had this heart transplant that God talks about. And so you've come to this course wondering what's wrong. And as Paul said last week, the greatest issue in my marriage is me. The greatest problem in my marriage is me. And the reason you're a problem is because you still have the problem and that is a heart that is deceitful, above all else. And you can't change. But God can. And God will. And no one should leave this course, and I hope no one will leave this particular class session, without having experienced that heart change. So ask yourself: has that occurred? Has there been a time when I have had this conversion, this transformation of heart that Ezekiel 36 talks about in the Bible. Well, how does it happen? It's not something you can do. It's something clearly God does. And how does the Bible describe it? it? Describes it this way. To all those who receive Him. And Him is Jesus. To all those who received Jesus. Well, who are the people that received Jesus? Well, here's another description of people that receive. The people that receive Jesus, accept Jesus, welcome Jesus. Those are all synonyms. Receive, welcome, accept. The people who do that are the people who did this. Believe in His name. And I'll describe it. To those, all those who received him, welcomed him, accepted him, that is, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now notice, you can't do the heart transplant. You can't do the radical surgery. It has to be done on you by someone else. And that's what this says. These are children born not of natural descent. Not something that naturally occurs. You don't have it because you were born into a particular family. You don't have it because your parents were good, religious. Not natural descent. Nor of human decision. It's not something that anybody just gets up and decides to do one day. God has to take the initiative. Or of a husband's will. The natural birth process involves a husband and a wife. But these children, they become the children of God because they are, in the last three words, born of God. And so what God does is He works in your heart to cause you to want a different heart. And so he brings you to a marriage series that shows you your heart. And you say, my heart has never been changed. And I see that I need that, and I want that. That's God moving on your heart to cause you to want that. And then God gives you new birth, spiritual birth. That's what it means to be born again. Literally born again. is born from above. Because you've been given now this new heart that is expressed in believing in His name. How do I know that God has worked on my heart so that now I'm going to embark on this new path with new desires that are going to bring forth new fruit? How do I know that? It's because I believe in His name. Now His name is not just I believe in J-E-S-U-S. God's name in the Bible is who He is. It represents who He is. So I believe who He is. I believe who Jesus is. And so I welcome, accept, receive Him, believing in all that He is. Now, who is He? He is God the Son. He is God, having come as man. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord, that is Master. And so I know that God has worked in my heart if I believe that Jesus is my God and my Master. And further, His name represents who He is in that Joseph was told by the angel when God came to earth and was born in Bethlehem, you will call His name, you remember, Jesus, Why? Because He will save His people from their sins. He's my God, my Lord and Master, and He is my Savior. He rescues me from my sins. And so the question for you all and me is do you believe that? And if you believe that in your heart, it is because God has changed your heart. You've had a time where God did that and you express expressed your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. Now before we leave today, we're going to bow together and pray. And if you have never done that, if God has moved on your heart tonight over these last few weeks to show you that your heart is beyond cure above all else and that you need the radical transformation that only He can give, then you can do that in the quietness of the moment in which we close in prayer. And I encourage you to do that. Express your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that He is your God and your Savior and your Lord and you want to follow Him. So what to do? You say, I've done that. I did that when I was 8, I did that when I was 12, when I was 22, I did it last week. So there are some people here who are not, some who have, but you find this changed heart to still be an incomplete heart. Right? And so you have a, a new heart, but that new heart still wages war against what the Bible calls our old nature. And this side of heaven, until we get to heaven, we will still battle sin. We'll battle it differently. Because our desires now are to please God. And when we hear that we're not pleasing God, we're convicted of that. We're sorrowful about that. We want to change direction. And so we repent. What does that mean and what do we repent of? Repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction change of mind that leads to a change of direction. So when we pray in just a bit, if for the first time you call out to God and say, I need Jesus as my Savior, I need my heart changed and transplanted, you will be repenting because that will be a change of mind about Him and about yourself that will lead to a change of direction. Well, what about for those of us who have done that initially but still struggle with sin, how is it that I need to repent continually so that I'm changing my mind leading to a change in direction on a regular basis? What am I to change my mind about? Well, it is simply this. Repent of failure to believe The gospel. Repent of your failure and my failure to believe the gospel. Now how does that show up in your life and in my life? Remember we said our hearts are ruled by idols? Sometimes these idols are. We made a list of them. To be accepted, to look good, to be comfortable, to have things. Paul said in the second principle of this series on page 8, and will you take a look at page? And In the second principle, sin causes us to shrink our lives to the size of our lives. And so I repent of failing to believe the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news of the gospel, that my life is bigger than my life. My life is bigger than the stuff that I think is all-important. God has given us the good news that we can be saved and be rescued from the confines of our own idolatrous small love. And I repent of failure to believe that as evidenced by the idols that I allow to rule my heart. I repent and I believe. Lord, I believe. Do you remember Thomas said, Lord, I believe. What? Help my unbelief. And friends, when we are sinning in whatever way, and in this case in our relationships, make no mistake, we are failing to believe that Christ is better. That honoring God in my attitudes, in my words, in my actions, is better and more fulfilling than the achievements of this particular idolatrous desire. Repent and believe. Now, we're going to pray in just a moment. I pray that there'll be some people who walked in this room tonight who have never come to Jesus who will do that now who repent and believe for the first time. Repent of what you thought about Jesus. If you ever, repent of not thinking about Jesus. <laughs> and believe that He is indeed God the Son, your Lord, your Savior, who died to pay the penalty for your sin, lived the life you should have lived, died the death that you deserve. Repent and believe when we pray together. And then for the rest of it, You have been dealing with the same idolatrous desires over and over again. Dear friends, we've got seven more weeks. But they won't do you any good unless you repent and believe. And having been confronted with your hearts, repent of failure to believe the good news of the gospel and that these idols are better than Jesus. Believe anew who He is and what He has done. And then confess that to those who have been affected by your sin now when you leave this week do the application section the just between the two of you and then there's some further reading all of that on page 9 Okay. let's pray and we'll be done Father, we thank you for these sobering truths that you have confronted us with in the course of these three weeks now. And we have been thoroughly presented with the truth of Scripture, that our hearts are the control center of our lives. And so I pray that none of us now is entertaining, are entertaining any longer the myths of why we say what we say and do what we do, blaming it on something or someone outside of ourselves. I pray that we see the truth. That what comes out was already in. And that we need heart transformation. I pray that you are moving on the hearts of some right now who had never had that heart transplant from you, been born from above. And that they're expressing that work on their heart by receiving Jesus, welcoming Him, accepting Him, because they believe in His name. Thank you, Lord, for saving, rescuing, another person or persons. For those of us that have been initially rescued, we need your continual salvation, your continuing rescue, because we struggle with sin. And I pray that there are brothers and sisters here who love you more than they love their idolatrous desires. And that right now, they are expressing a repentant heart to you, changing their mind, repenting of failure to believe the gospel and the good news that you've rescued us from the small confines of our lives and our idolatries. And I pray that having done that, we will do what you say. Confess to those who have been affected that forgiveness will be granted and that we will be able to move forward as as couples and as families. We ask you, Lord, to grant us safety this week. And to bring us back next week as we continue to learn of you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.